0: Well, I have to admit, as the son of a preacher's daughter, it's a little bit uncomfortable for me to be up here in front of all of you in jeans and a t-shirt. But I promise, I promise there's a purpose. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But I know that it makes me uncomfortable just because that's not how I grew up. Um, anyways, that has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. Um, it is no secret that we live in a time that is divided. It's easy to be divided from one another. It's easy to find those lines when we are encouraged to think for yourself and be your own person and do what's best for you. Our thoughts and our feelings are validated to the point that we believe that they are more important than other people's. If somebody believes something different than me, they're probably wrong because I have been taught to think for myself, right? It's far easier to disagree with somebody and to just tune them out than it is to have civil discourse and conversation and to collaborate with them. And it is far more praised to do your own thing than it is to work together to listen to those who are um, who are well researched, well read well-studied, those who are in leadership, those whose vocation it is to know and do such things. And on top of how we separate and divide ourselves, there's this extreme loneliness that is also prevalent in our world. Loneliness is on the rise in nearly every age group, but most specifically and most notably in those younger generations that are in theory, the most connected in history. The need for community, the need for relationship is, has never been greater. But the lines that divide us have never been more numerous. And it's in this time that we realize that this glory, glorifying of individualization is not how God designed us. It's nowhere near God's initial plan for humanity because from the beginning God designed us and established that it was not good for man to be alone. Jesus himself in a time of great pain and sorrow in the garden of Gethsemane, he asks Peter, James, and John to come pray with him. Relationship and community are at the core of who God is and humanity has been created in his image to do likewise, to be in relationship and community And ideally, this form of community is united together by the work of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with that in mind, our need for relationship, our need for community, would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with great honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I feel like this is one of those passages that kind of speaks for itself in a lot of ways, right? It almost feels like we could read it and maybe read it a second time and then that's a great message. Let's all go home, right? Amen. Let's all be united. Let it be so. Goodbye. But Paul's words here very clearly um, lay out this message to the Corinthian church. It, it seems to almost transcend um, time and culture and context because this message is clear, it's to the point, it's timeless, right? No matter who or where we are, Paul reminds us that we are part of something bigger, that we are part of the body of Christ. But the more I studied and prepared for this week's message, the more I found myself convicted and enlightened in a new way by the Holy Spirit. Because while there's plenty of good stuff here kind of on the surface level, on the first read, there's a whole lot more to be uncovered underneath that. And this text continually reveals collectively how we should live in community, how we should live in relationship. But it also draws us in because it is personal. It's individual as well. This message is for more than just the larger church body. It's for each one of us in the larger church body. And it speaks to our individual identity, belonging, and purpose. Not as we understand it, but how God understands it and how God designed it from the beginning. So this passage this morning, it comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. There are two, in case you didn't know. Um, He writes it to These Christians in Corinth, and this church community is one that he would have known very, very well. Um, This city of Corinth was a major port city in the ancient world, and it had lots of um, temples of Greek and Roman gods, and it was this large hub of economics with a lot of religious diversity. And so, because of that, Paul came here very strategically as a missionary, and he spent about a year and a half there. getting to know people, talking to them, being in a relationship with them, and letting them know about Jesus. And a whole bunch of people became followers of Jesus and formed this Christian church community that he's now writing to. Because he then moved off to, you know, start new churches in new cities. But he, he continues to get reports and hear back from the folks that he knows back in these, these towns. And so the people in Corinth, he hears from them these different things that are going on in the church— um, and they are plagued by all these sorts of problems. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them, support them, and to let them know maybe this isn't what you should be worrying about. Maybe this isn't what you should be doing. And so this, um, this 1 Corinthians is split up into five kind of main parts. And each part corresponds to a main problem that the church in Corinth um, is, is dealing with that Paul is addressing. And each part is sort of this short essay that Paul is writing um, on these different topics. But in each of these five things, there's kind of this one uniting thing in all of them. And that is that they are united through the gospel of Christ. In each one, he starts by defining this problem that they are dealing with. And then he highlights what um, he has heard. And he moves from there into responding to that problem with some part of the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he shows how the Corinthians are not living out that good news. They're not living out the gospel that they claim to believe. So on the surface, this might seem like Paul is just calling out their hypocrisy, right? There there may be an element of that, but that's not what the whole letter is about. But he is calling out, hey, you say, that, you say that you believe this, but you do not live that out. While there is an element of that, there is more to this letter because he, he is writing to, to remind the church in Corinth that every area of their life should be viewed and enacted through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are to do the same. 2,000 years later, reading this letter, we are to read it, in the same kind of a way, through the lens of how does the gospel of Christ lead our view of and our response to this crazy world. In this portion that we read this morning, Paul is addressing the issues in the Corinthians weekly worship gatherings. So from what we read, um, these times were pretty chaotic. Um, people would have these radical spiritual experiences and they would um, begin praying in other languages. And then others would get up and begin teaching or or um, shouting out this word from God. And then others would try and over, overlap them with this own teaching and word from God that they had. And it was just frenzied. It was unorganized. And it would often cause people both in the church and those who were maybe visiting or coming in to be distracted Or unfocused from what the true purpose of the meeting was, which is the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus was being clouded by this chaotic worship of people trying to prove that their um, ideas, their way of worship is more important than others. So Paul's writing here, this whole, this whole book, but specifically, um, this section that we're talking about this morning, it serves as kind of an encouragement for them to continue to think about the purpose of their gatherings, which is the gospel, good news of Jesus, and how that should be at their core, and how that should affect how they act and they worship during these times. These gatherings should be a place where God's spirit is working in and through each and every person in a unified way. And that's what we hope these weekly gatherings and other weekly gatherings are as well that it is lots of individuals coming together and by the power of the Holy Spirit being united in how we worship. And so, it's here where Paul kind of introduces and develops this metaphor, this analogy of the human body. The church of Christ, the body of Christ, and the human body. It's one made up of all of these parts. And each part has a very important and distinct role. And he, he has this kind of woven throughout all of his letters, um, and and it kind of adds as it goes. He, he's continued to develop this thought process, but here is kind of where he initiates it. And for Paul's purposes, his understanding of this body of Christ and these many members, he believes that individual rights or freedoms are entirely secondary to the larger whole, to the good of the larger whole. I don't know how many football fans we have here. I was talking to Frank earlier, and he's, he's a sad football fan this morning. Um, but football fans, <laughs> Dave's a football fan, toward the end of the game, if one of the teams is ahead, and it's a close game, and they're trying to run out the clock, sometimes the if a running back, like, goes for the first down, he'll just fall to the ground, right? He won't go out of bounds because he doesn't want to stop the clock. He'll just fall to the ground instead of running this clear path to the end zone for a touchdown because he wants the team to win more than he wants to add a touchdown to his stats or an extra however many yards rushing. And if Paul were a football player, this would be him. At the end of the game, he would get the first down and he would just fall to the ground because... The good of the whole, the good of the team, is far greater than his own personal accolades, his own um, personal thoughts and feelings and rights and freedoms. He would rather there be team success. And he urges many of these Christian communities that he writes to to do the same. The best and the healthiest Christian communities are not defined by their strongest or most important members the body of Christ is a totality of its members. It is at its best and its healthiest when we are all invited in, when we are all united together and we are all working together to bring about the kingdom of God. And this is where these words that Paul writes get a little bit sticky, especially in our kind of westernized, Americanized view of church. Not that we don't believe that this is true, but it's remarkably more difficult to live this out than the rest of what Paul's saying. Because this includes, in a very prominent way, in fact, those who are perceived as less than. On the contrary, Paul says, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. It's hard to, hard to wrap our minds around how that looks here and now. It's, it's one thing to say, yeah, that, that makes sense as far as what I believe and know about the kingdom of God. It's another thing to say, that makes sense. I will do that. I will actively do that. But the best and healthiest Christian community lifts up the lowly. It brings honor to those who the world regards as having no honor, no dignity, who are lowly, unimportant, unworthy. And if you feel like that this morning, if you feel insignificant, let's reread verse 22. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You are indispensable. You matter. In Christ, there is no ethnic, cultural, social distinction. We, we recognize that there is this uniqueness in all of us, right? And Paul is clear about that in this and, and many other parts of his letters. But God, without reservation, has given all his people the Holy Spirit. He has given them the Holy Spirit to dwell in them so that their lives might overflow with the fruit of the Spirit. Paul understands that the human body is not this hierarchical system where some outrank others, but it is the system that complements and supports, encourages, and brings unity with its various parts. There are many parts of the body. The foot is different from the hand. The hand is different from the eye, and so on and so forth. And quick aside, how many of you have seen Monsters, Inc.? Mike Wazowski does not fit this. He is just a giant eyeball, right, with limbs. This is not the body that that Paul is writing about. That's not the body of Christ. Where was I? Uh Um, there's no great segue. uh, There's this phrase that kept popping up in my, my study and my preparation this week. And it's this, diversity in unity. Or the church is unified and diversified. Because for Paul, diversity in the body of Christ is not just this nice ideal that we can hope to get someday. It's not just something that we say, oh, that would be nice, and we just continue on and, and never pursue it. Diversity is a gift from God. It's it's how He created us to be diverse. It is this essential component to the full functioning of the human body and the church body. It is vital. Diversity is vital to the purpose of the body. The church is unity in diversity. The unity of the church transcends all distinctions. All are welcomed, all are loved, all are valued. And of great importance, the diversity that is talked about here is not just happenstance. It's not just luck that we are all individuals, we are all unique We are all diverse. But Paul writes that the body's diversity in unity is God's doing. God created us this way. It is his purpose that we are diverse. He made a purposeful choice in designing us to be diverse, to be different. And yet, in that diversity, he designed us for unity, community, relationship, God has arranged that different Christians in the body of Christ exercise these different spiritual gifts, not the same gift. And this diversity is intended to accomplish God's unified purpose. God's method employs diversity to create unity. So quickly back to this metaphor analogy of the human body. Just as God designed our physical bodies to be intricately connected and woven together, he does the same with his church, with this body of Christ. And I must say, the older I get, the more incredible and fascinating I find the human body. There are some incredible ways that he has created us to function, to work at all. I have some crazy stats for you because I like, I like numbers and stats and trivia. The tongue is covered in about 8,000 taste buds, each one containing up to 100 cells to help you taste your food. Every minute, you shed over 30,000 dead skin cells, meaning you replace the entire surface of your skin every month. You're literally a new person every month. All of the arteries and the veins and the capillaries of a human child, if they were stretched out end to end, are estimated to be about sixty thousand miles long, which is two and a half times around the Earth. And the amount of blood vessels in a human adult is estimated to be hundred thousand miles, which is circling the planet four times. Now those are some pretty amazing statistics about how God designed us, right? I can't imagine hearing those those stats and not believing in a divine creator. Cuz the fact that all of that is in us and works together unified in order to make us be able to talk and walk and think and breathe. It's pretty wild. But if we take this analogy of the body of Christ being like the human body, we further recognize the diversity with which God has designed each one of us. Because no matter how small or seemingly unnecessary we might feel, it is noticeable when one part is missing or functioning incorrectly. How many of you have ever had a broken blood vessel? There is... When I was in high school, I was playing in a basketball game, and my opponent reached out for a pass or something and jabbed me with his finger in the eye. And my contact exploded into three parts in my eye, and for the next two weeks, my eye would just randomly tear up and start leaking. And I had this, about half of my eye for, for at least a week was just blood red. No matter how small or seemingly insignificant a blood vessel might be, right? Nobody thinks about a blood vessel every day. But no matter how small it is, it is noticeable when it's not functioning properly. It is noticeable when it is broken. And just like those blood vessels in the eye, just like those skin cells that you shed every day, every minute... You matter. There is a purpose. And it is noticeable when our church body is not functioning quite right. When our church body is not living up to its full potential. Each member contributes to the well-being of the larger body. You matter. And how we live in relationship with one another contributes to that well-being of our larger body. Every part is vital to the smooth and effective working of this human organism that we are. And as we know even better than Paul because of modern science and technology, our bodies are complex mechanisms that are able to do incredible things, but not without things running properly, without things running smoothly. And so it is with our Christian church, with our body of Christ. We can do incredible things for God. We can do incredible things in this world so long as we are healthy, so long as we are functioning in this diverse unity. God has provided this division of labor, this distinction of gifts, and all of them are needed in the body of Christ. But Paul reminds us that there is a gift that is offered to each and every one of us. That we all can share. And that is God's love. The excellent way, as he says it at the end. He's setting up this, this famous chapter that's coming next. 1 Corinthians 13, which is read at all kinds of weddings and funerals and all that the love chapter, right? Love is patient, love is kind. He's setting this up. He's calling the Corinthians to strive for this greater gift, a more excellent way, a concept that is central to the gospel, the love of God. And this is a gift that was and now is still available to all and which is the most Christ-like of all. It is God's love that should be at the core of all that we are and all that we do. It is God's love that compels each person in this gathering to use our role to seek the well-being of others. Without this gift of love, all other gifts are self-serving, are meaningless. It's God's love that calls us forward God's love that helps the Corinthians, that helps us find our identity, find our belonging, find our purpose in this body of Christ. And it is God's love that helps us to find that same thing that the Corinthians were taught about. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and lead us for a final song. And as they do that, I want us to think about three Big questions. These questions are ones that Fuller Youth Institute has defined as being questions that a lot of young people deal with today, that they struggle with and wrestle with in their own lives. But I truly believe that these are applicable to all of us at every point in our lives. And so especially during this time of COVID, and, we, and as we're thinking about what's coming, what's next for the church, what's next for this local body of Christ, I want us to think about these three questions, individually and collectively. Who am I? Where do I fit? What difference can I make? Think about these questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? What difference can I make? These are questions that are becoming more and more difficult to answer in our world but being a part of a community being a part of a, a church body the body of Christ a community that has Christ at its center when we are a part of that that is the only way that we can discover and hope to understand answers to these questions in our own lives who are we where do we fit How can we make a difference? We were designed to be in relationship, to be in community. The church allows us to grow into who we are, where we fit, what difference we can make in this world. That is only done in a community that is centered on Christ. So, as we sing this last song, and as we go from here remember these 3 questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? What difference can I make? Let's worship. I want to share a quick story with you. A carpenter's tools were having a conference. Brother Hammer was was presiding, but the others informed him that he'd have to leave because he was too noisy. All right, he said, I'll go, but Brother Plain must withdraw too. There's no depth to his work. It's always on the surface. Brother Plain responded, well, Brother Rule will also have to go too. He's constantly measuring people as if he were the only one who's right. Brother Rule then complained about Brother Sandpaper, saying, he's rougher than he ought to be. He's very abrasive, and he's always rubbing people the wrong way. Brother Sandpaper was annoyed by Brother Saw claiming that he had a very sharp and cutting personality. Brother Saw leveled his criticism at Brother Level, saying that he always tended to blame other people for being crooked and unbalanced. Brother Level had a major problem with Brother Handrill, accusing him of coming along and sticking his long, penetrating nose into other people's business. And wouldn't you know it, Brother Handrill was really bothered by Brother Clamp, because Brother Clamp always seemed so uptight and never seemed relaxed. In the midst of this bitter discussion, the carpenter of Nazareth walked in. He spoke sternly to all the tools, rebuked them, and told them to hold their peace. He shared with them that every one of them has had a purpose, and that they were uniquely made to fulfill that purpose. He told them that every one of them was important and had a special job to do. The carpenter told them that he needed every one of them in order to do his work. He then went to his workbench to make a pulpit from which to preach the gospel. He used the hammer, the plane, the rule, the sandpaper, the saw, the level, the hand drill, and the clamp. Not one tool was untouched or unused. And after the pulpit was finished, Brother Rule arose and said, I see now that all of us are laborers together with God. There is no such thing as an unimportant member of the body of Christ. We all have something to contribute. We all need each other to accomplish the work that God has for us. You matter. We need you. You matter. Whether you've come to church for 80 years or this is your first time, you matter. We need you to be a part of the body of Christ, to bring about the well-being of all of us, to bring about God's kingdom here on earth. We need you. You matter. So as we go this week, may we all remember that truth, that we matter, that we need each other. We need to be in community, diversity in unity. So may you go in grace and peace to love and serve the Lord. You matter. Have a great week.